reading today is from 51, Psalms 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you alone, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence to me. And blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner, when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy, the joy of your salvation, and sustain in me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from bloodshed, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of your deliverance. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were, if I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Nice job. Thanks, Kate. Hey, good afternoon. What a weird context in which we all meet, but thank you so much, you guys, for the music. That is very special. So some of you were raised with Ash Wednesday. Some of you maybe, like myself, weren't. And for me, there's this constant conversation of trusting the value, but also this fun exercise of, like, why, why is there value? And I think the question that I want to ask is, like, can you, can you think of the last time, like, you were legitimately in trouble? Remember that feeling, like, and I'm not talking about your spouse on the drive here. Like, let's, like, let's, let's talk about someone whose opinion matters. Like, and, but, like, do you remember that feeling? Uh, I was thinking about it this week, and when I was, I think I was a junior in high school, I came back from lunch when, quite frankly, I had been up to no good, and I sat down in Mr. O'Neill's U.S. history class. And Mr. O'Neill and I had a little bit of a background because he was my middle school football coach, and he was the offensive coordinator, and I was quarterback, and we were 0-13-1, so I never played in high school. <laughs> there wasn't much talent there. But we developed a relationship in middle school, and so I had him in high school. And I, in hindsight, you know you can see yourself in hindsight in ways you couldn't when you were there. I, I can see in hindsight like I was that kid who had kind of gone off the rails, whose parents had got divorced, who, you know, I'm not trying to make myself a victim, but just who wasn't making good decisions, and I'd been up to no good at lunch. And I sat in his class, and I remember, I, I think it was like, a few minutes into class, but I don't remember what the chronology was, but I remember there was this point where he just looked up at me and he goes, hey, Adam. And I looked at him and he said, do you smell something? 
It's very scary because I spent the rest of the period thinking like, okay, so when does he usher me to the office or when does, you know, when do, when do I go to jail or whatever it would be. But that feeling, like, do you remember that feeling? Maybe it's been since you were a child, but just that feeling of like, I've done wrong, I'm in trouble, this is going to cost me. And I know that's not a desirable feeling, but part of where, where Ash Wednesday's landing for me right now is this realization of the older I get, uh, uh, the more privilege I gain, like the less frequent I, I have that feeling. I mean, it's been a long time since anybody told me I had done wrong or I was out of line or I would misbehaved. I mean, I, I can tell myself that with great regularity, but it's been a while. And I wonder if part of the value of Ash Wednesday is this kind of stern reminder uh, to a people, and we're going to explore this a little more on Sunday, to people who aren't necessarily look at, look, used to seeing God through this, this lens of his sternness. But I do wonder if there's some value of being reminded, like we, we are under authority. Like we're not the boss. That we actually, that Jesus, when he says things like, you know, that every word you utter, you'll, you'll answer to God for what you've said. Like that, that that's not just, he's not just playing games there. It's not just a cute illustration. It's not hyperbole. Like it's, it's literal. And I wonder if part of the value then of this, this next season of 40 days minus the Sundays is just living, albeit temporarily, in this heightened sense of like I, what I do with my life matters. The, the moral decisions I make matter. Who I become matters. Like I will ultimately answer to God. I don't have a lot of familiarity with Psalm 51. If you were raised in a liturgical setting, you probably do because it's a, it's a favorite of that tradition. Uh, but I didn't pick Psalm 51, nor did Justin or Lexi or anybody else. You, you could say like Psalm 51 picked us because it's taken directly from the lectionary, which you may or may not have familiarity with, but the version that's most prominent now dates back to the, to the early 50s. But before that, there were versions that go all the way back, really all the way to the time of Jesus, because in fact, you can see in the Gospels when Jesus strode into the temple, or excuse me, when he went to synagogue and read from the Torah scrolls or the scroll of Isaiah, he didn't just pick that. It, it coincided with this was the reading we do on this day. And so with the lectionary, what you have in Psalm 51 is, and this is I, I guess where I'm starting to find some meaning in tradition, is you have a reading that people from outside of our lifetime and outside of our context, they made this decision of like, hey, every three years on Ash Wednesday, you should sit with this psalm and just the ideas behind it. And listen even to the superscription uh, that, that this psalm starts with. I had Gay skip that, but this, if you're familiar with the book of Psalms, oftentimes they'll tell you something about the author or the context, and in this case we get that from Psalm 51, and it says this, to the leader, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him, and he had gone into Bathsheba. Now, first of all, this reminds me that part of what gives me so much confidence that this, this way of Jesus is real and true and the best way to be human is the Bible is so honest with its hero's flaws. Like, you're probably aware that, that what this is referring to is when David committed adultery with Bathsheba and the extent to which that was consensual and there's all these kind of different tangents that we can take on this. Some would say it was rape, others not so much. But what, what does matter, what we do know is that David was the king of Israel and he committed adultery. And I do wonder if part of the value then of this psalm is going, what does it tell us that the most powerful man in Israel, like 
man and king also had to face God on a one-on-one basis. I mean, listen to then how it starts. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Just imagine today a, a head of state talking this way. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Imagine a father or a spouse, like anybody of power. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me against you. You alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Like what is, what are these people, those who give, give us this, and it's not that I don't believe it comes from the Holy Spirit as well, but it also comes through a community. What do they want us to know about God that they would preserve this song, this psalm? Like what does it tell us that, that this man also had to deal personally with his sin. In fact, if you fast forward to verse 16, there's something that I think could easily be construed as like temple deconstruction, but I'm not convinced that's what's happening here. It says this, for you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give you a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. Now here he's referring to that this, one of the sacrifices that would have been offered in the temple every day. And what's he saying? Like I don't just get to hide underneath that. Like theologically you might say, Atonement for sin was being made every day in the temple. And here you have the king of Israel going, but even that, I can't just hide under that. You know, part of what I love about the lectionary is the way that it curates Christ to us if you take the, 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 the summary of the readings. And I think there's a parallel here for us as Christ followers. What would it be? 46 days from now, we will celebrate Easter Sunday. What are we celebrating? The, the death and resurrection of the Messiah. What, what are we leaning into? The forgiveness of God. And yet I wonder, because I know this is the way I'm prone and we're going to explore this more on Sunday. I rarely confess anything to God because I live under this perpetual liberation of the cross. But what does it mean that David, like there were, temp, there were sacrifices offered in the temple every day for his sin And yet still, the most powerful human in Israel found meaning and responsibility in getting one-on-one with God in his stuff. I've referenced, and I probably will continue to for a while, a friend challenged, a book group that I'm in, challenged us to read G.K. Chesterton's Chesterton's book, Orthodoxy. And I both highly recommend it and suggest that you do it uh, not in a couch, but at a desk. It's thick, thick reading, but I think really important. But part of what I love about what Chesterton says, what's resonating for me, is he argues that perhaps the best apologetic, I think I put the the best, but one of the apologetics that drew him to Christ. This book was written in 1908. It was instrumental in C.S. Lewis's coming to faith. Some would say that had this book been listened to, both World War I and World War II could have been avoided because it kind of saw coming some of the mayhem that was boiling up in humanity. But he says part of the apologetic that drew him to Christ later in his life was that Christianity does paradox better than any other way of being human. And he goes on to say there's lots of ways that do mercy really well and there's lots of ways that what he calls that do severity very well. But Christianity does both. Uh, He also makes note of like within Christian tradition you have pacifism and you have just war. And he argues that that's not a that, that's, that doesn't discredit it, it gives it greater credit that it, 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 it accounts for paradox. And it's in this psalm 
Like as a people, and I know this is true of me, maybe it's not you, who are so accustomed to God's mercy, it's in this psalm. Listen again to verse one. Have mercy on me, O God. Is God merciful? Is that a true statement? Is it a true claim to his character? Is it really the way he functions? According to your steadfast love, that word steadfast love there, some would argue, my friend Vern has it tattooed on his calf, some would argue that it's the most important word in the whole Bible, it's the word hesed. It's the long suffering, it's the loyal love of God, it's what the book of Ruth is all about and I can't wait to go through that together this summer in in late July. Is God's love loyal? Because remember, loyalty by definition, it doesn't doesn't depend upon what you do. It depends on who he is. It's the difference between covenant and contract. Is God loyal? But, But notice also the psalm doesn't stop there. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. See, this is where I just think immediately of Chesterton. There's the paradox. How could God be merciful and yet also require that I deal honestly and forthrightly with him with respect to my sin? How could God be merciful and at the same time might cling to the fact that truth matters, that ideas matter, that little micro decisions I make, they add up to something? Because listen to where the psalm goes next. Uh, Verse six, you desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. What's the claim there? Is, is truth intuitive? Is, is the, are the best versions of truth and morality that which humans arrive at on their own? Uh, this reminds me of C.S. Lewis's book, Abolition of Man, where he argues quite passionately that morality is something that, that often isn't intuitive, but that doesn't mean that we don't have to be instructed in it. And notice the king of Israel, who writes the law, who does whatever he wants, is acknowledging that he has a responsibility before God to learn what is right and true and beautiful and good. Not just so that he can look at himself in the mirror, but because he's the king of Israel. You might say all of creation or all of creation in that moment depends upon how he shows up in the world. I don't know what kind of commitment you've made around Lent. My assumption is that that the fact that you're here in the middle of a zero degree day says that you've thought through Lent. I don't know what you've given up or what new tasks you've taken on. My hope is that for us, this will be this heightened season where we tend honestly to like, okay, God, what's, what's the character stuff that's become habitual in me that actually isn't pleasing to you? Like, what are the little things that every time I walk out my front door are reinforced to me as perfectly acceptable? But you would have me go, no, I want to deal with this one. And I find some, uh, what would be the word, some comfort in the fact that like, to the extent to which God keeps track, that I'm never going to get to deal with the whole list. I, I doubt that I'll live that long. I feel some comfort in the fact that God constantly is identified as a shepherd and a leader and a teacher and a coach, one whose uh, yoke is easy and burden is light because that tells me that what God's going to bring to you is just the next right thing. Now, you don't have to burden yourself with with being perfect, well, maybe you should burden yourself with it, but you're not gonna get there and you don't have to work through the whole list, just whatever God's highlighting on said list. That in this season, there's value in a culture as permissive as our own to just sit with, at the end of the day, I'm accountable. 
Listen to the way David uh, gets to, where he gets to later on. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. Part of what we're going to work on is that there's 40 days of Lent and there's 50 days of Easter. So the, the point of celebration comes and part of what I'm hoping is that in this season of just paying attention, Easter and the days between Easter and Pentecost take on new meaning as you, you do sit with where you need forgiveness and then you celebrate for 50 days and we together, the joy of your salvation. You know, I'm reminded John in his gospel, I believe in the first chapter in describing Jesus, he said he's full of grace and truth. Like there's the paradox. And later, after having stooped down in the dirt and had that interaction with the woman caught in adultery, remember what he said to her? Woman, neither do I condemn you. There's the mercy. Now go and leave your life of sin. Is it something we even believe in? And if so, what's this the next stuff? And I think it's important also to remember, because it's not entirely about you. It's about the mom you aspire to be and the husband you aspire to be and the community member you aspire to be and whatever your occupation or vocation, God's hope for the world is as a people in whom he dwells. And so we do this refining work to serve people. I was... I was in my office this week and I, there's this picture that I've had on the wall since I think 2010, I'm not entirely sure. It was, it's a picture of my three boys who at the time were like, I wanna say like six, four, and three, but I'm the dad who's like, I don't know, they might, they might have been 12, I don't know. It gets all kind of fuzzy in my head. They're clearly young. It's a picture that's <laughs> it's been in my office. My wife gifted it to me pretty early in the narrate days. So it's the type of thing that I, that I look at all the time but rarely see, if you know what I mean. And last week, as I, I think it was last Friday, as I was starting to just sit with kind of putting thoughts together for this, uh, there was this moment where I looked at the picture and it felt a little surreal. Like my oldest doesn't live at home anymore. He's in an apartment and doing well. And my, my middle will be a senior next year. And my youngest, is, he's busy and doing neat things. And it just felt surreal. And then there was this moment of like 12 years ago, like it feels like that. And then... It just occurred to me, and I don't mean this to be too morbid, but there was this, like, I'll bet you, like when the day comes that I do literally stand before the judgment seat of Christ, like it's gonna have that same feeling. Like, man, Lord, I was just 44 years old standing in 326 on Ash Wednesday like yesterday. And part, therefore, I think of the gift of Ash Wednesday is the mercy of, we can avoid this, but it's, it's a central, vital, and important part of what it means to be human and what it means to be followers of the way. So the band comes back up here. They're going to lead us in a couple more songs. They're going to give you a chance. This rug going out of square is driving me bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to give you a chance to take communion if you want to do that. There's also, some of you will know there's this tradition around Ash Wednesday that, that is getting ashes on your forehead in, in the shape of a cross and, and having just pronounced over you from, from dust you came and to dust you shall return. All optional. Uh, communion, of course, is something that we do that we, we sit with our need for forgiveness and the reception of it. And I think we sit with that communion is a sacrament. It's, 
It's a reminder that God gives us his gift, that he fuels his grace, that he gives us his spirit. So let me pray and we'll, we'll let you do whatever you'd like with that time. God, thanks. Thanks for this tradition that we step into, this stream of people who uh, were trying to be a remnant in a culture and following you. Thanks, God, for the death of your son, the resurrection of your son. Thanks that miracles are a central part of who you are. And God, thanks for, for this bread and this wine, and we ask that you would take our ordinary, everyday lives and send your spirit into them and us into the world and that you take this ordinary everyday bread and send your spirit into them and into us to fuel our presence with you in the world. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Narrate Church, find us online at narratechurch.org or look us up on Facebook or Instagram.